Welcome back to the All Personal Podcast, where we turn the good old saying, nothing personal, just business, upside down, and prove how, in fact, it's all personal. Nothing is just business. Because it's all either intrapersonal, how we manage ourselves, or interpersonal, how we manage our relationships with others, both at home and at work. It's all about our personal skills muscles. And today, I'm talking to Tim Allison about how his own skills muscles took him where he is today on his journey of defying conventional wisdom. What do I mean by that? Well, Tim is a lifelong entrepreneur who advises and mentors experienced leaders on how to create a thought leadership business. He's also a public speaker, author, and host of the Screw the Naysayers podcast, where he has interviewed thought leaders such as Seth Godin, Heather Monahan, and Corey Poirier. At the age of 31, Tim walked away from a six-figure job and moved with his family to a tiny fishing village in Nova Scotia, Canada. The naysayers then laughed when he started an educational software company. They stopped laughing when his sales topped $10 million. 31 years later, Tim still lives in that same fishing village. His favorite saying is, know the life you want, and have the courage to live it. Ready to listen in? Here we go. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the All Personal Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Roxana. So good to, to have you as a guest. And uh, before we start, could you say a little bit about your journey so far for our audience <laughs> today? It's just to get us there. <laughs> Fair enough. Because, you know, when you get to my age, I'm 62, Roxanne, when you, you know, my journey has is, is, is got a, a few twists in the road. Right. Um, I'll give you the really short version for now. I'm, I'm a, a lifelong entrepreneur. I've, you know, I've, I've, Spent only five years of my adult life working for um, someone else. It was a, we had a job in corporate sales, and then I've been self-employed ever since. Uh, I've had four different businesses. My current business event business venture is called Screw the Naysayers Productions, and there's a, there's about there's really two main components to that. The the first part of it is my legacy project, and that's that's my Screw the Naysayers podcast, mm -hmm. um, and that's where I interview. Leaders, uh, you know, innovators, entrepreneurs, people that have overcome great adversity. Um, anybody who just has gravitated to, you know, to the theme of <laughs> screwing the naysayers, I guess. And it's um, um, and so that's been going on for about a year and a half. I've recorded 175 episodes and um, talked to people in six continents. I think Antarctica is likely not going to make it onto my list. So. Um, other than that, talk to people worldwide. And then, you know, uh, on the other side of things, I, you know, I work with a, a very select number of, of thought leaders and, and people in business who are trying to elevate their brand and, um, you know, create, create um, impactful change. Right. Um, and folks that are driven by, not driven by ego, Roxana, mm -hmm. but driven by, you know, the desire to 
you know, to positively uh, impact the people, you know, that are around them. Yeah. So I heard so many things in this, in this short introduction of yours, and I have a million questions. So I'm sure. gonna start with, you said you worked only five years in your life for others and the rest, you were an entrepreneur. Yeah. How did you end up working in sales initially? That's kind of a, a funny story because, mm. um, you know, I, I, um, I graduated from university with a, with a degree in, well, really it was a general degree. I didn't, I had taken some computer science courses and a bunch of history courses. And, um, at the time I, I had intended to work in, you know, maybe as a systems analyst or something like that. Um, but, uh, when I got married, I'm, we made our first attempt to move out to Nova Scotia. I was born in Toronto. We moved out to my wife's hometown. And so when I was out here, I, you know, I, I, I was on my own, but I was an independent life insurance agent for a little while, which was selling. And I absolutely hated it. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I hated it. <laughs> um, and so when we went back to Toronto, um, which happened when our first son was born and we, you know, felt that, you know, I needed to get back to a place where I was more comfortable making a living at, uh, you know, um, and Toronto felt like it would be that, but having been away for a couple of years, you know, people basically said my, IT skills had become obsolete and I needed a job. And, a, you know, a, a good friend of mine who had gone to university with uh, came and picked me up one day. He pulled into the driveway in a BMW and I'm thinking, well, how the hell did you do that? I'm, you know, I'm having trouble paying for a meal at McDonald's. And um, so he got me a, a, an interview with a, you know, a placement agency, a headhunter, we would have called him in the days. And he told me about this sales job and I told him, I, you know, I said, Gary, I hate sales. But he took out a piece of paper, Roxana, and he drew a line down the middle of the page, and he and he said, "Okay, on the uh, let's write down all the things you didn't like about it." And you know, I started rhyming off. Well, I didn't like cold calling people yeah. at their homes. I didn't like having to work nights and weekends when my friends were all out, you know, enjoying themselves and socializing. And the Maritimes, the folks know what to do on a Friday night type of thing. And and I wasn't getting to do any of those things. And and then he said, well, what did you like? And I said, well, I, I enjoyed meeting the people. Like when people were receptive to mm-hmm. talking to me, it was fun talking to them and going through the process. And anyway, I agreed to go on the interview and and just more or less lucked into a, a job that I had no business getting. Um, and, it, it, you know, it was a it was an amazing learning experience. Right. Um, uh, you know, I just actually recorded a video on it. It's, um, you know, I, I described it as kind of a love-hate relationship <laughs> with, you know, with corporate sales. I mean, I, I, I loved it, Roxana, because I found, finally found something that I was mm-hmm. good at. And, you know, I think a lot of us when we're young, uh, you know, and, and by then I was, I was uh, 24. Um, you know, I mean, you start to struggle and you want, you, you hope, can I find something I'm actually good at? Right. And yeah. I was good at it. And, um, you know, and I really enjoyed the fact that I was measured based on my performance mm-hmm. and not, um, you know, because of people's perceptions about me. Um, you know, and I also realized, learned that I was capable of way more than I had ever imagined. Um, but the downside of it was that, you know, my, my best was never good enough. Like, you know, I was one of the top performers, but my boss's favorite saying was, you know, what have you done for me today? And he really meant it. Mm-hmm, like, you, mm-hmm. He'd celebrate like hell with you when you, you know, when you hit your quota or went over quota or brought in a big sale. But the second that was, that celebration was over, it was right back to, okay, well, what are you doing for me today? And, you know, I mean, it, it, it got tough. And, and I found myself basing my happiness on goals that other people mm-hmm. were setting for me, mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. And, 
that just didn't sit. Right. So I, I stuck it out for five years, but the last two and a half years, I was absolutely miserable. So that's that's how you decided to go on your own entrepreneurial path. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, you know, I was uh, from the outside looking in. I, I mean, my friends and family were shocked because I was the poster child for what success was supposed okay. to look like. You know, I had a six figure <laughs> job, um, you know, and, and I was rapidly climbing in six yeah. figures. And back in those days, that was an astonishing mm -hmm. amount of money. I had, you know, I wore tailor made clothes. I had company, you know, a car that was paid for by, by my, by my employer. Um, we were traveling around the world. Yeah. All, all the boxes tick. Yeah, exactly. Married mm -hmm. two kids in a house on top of it, eh? All about yeah, the thing. Perfect. Um, the only problem is, is that, you know, I mean, I was never seeing those two kids. I'd get home from work so stressed and so tired that I was oftentimes too tired for sex. I'm not, a, not ashamed to say that. Mm -hmm. I should be, mm -hmm. but it's just honest, you know. And you're not supposed to be feeling like that when you're late 20s, early 30s, when you're <laughs> in love with the, the person you're with, which I very much was and still am. And, yeah. you know, it, 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 I don't know, I, I was killing myself with, um, you know, with too much alcohol and I was traveling all the time and the diet was bad. And so, you know, I mean, I just got to the point where I, I, I just knew in my heart that I, if I didn't do something, I was going to be dead or divorced in five years and mm -hmm. maybe both and maybe sooner. So the first decision was to quit. Um, and then the second decision was that we were going to go back to Nova Scotia and, and try again. And, you know, I'm still in this little community, but, you know, same today as it was 30, 31 years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. most of the work for the man is still in the fishery and the forest. Yeah. You know, I'm not a, you know, we've met, you know, that, uh, or we've met virtually yeah. anyway, you know, that my hands are not meant to, you know, uh, to work in those, those kind of jobs type of thing. And, and so uh, I had to start my own business. It was the only, it was mm -hmm. that or, or we couldn't live here. Oh, okay. So what was your first business? Well, I I called it um, Maritrain, like for maritimes and training, and to put it together. Oh. And um, it was a it was um, uh, an educational software company mm -hmm. um, that that uh, started out working with big corporations and government, and then through some partnerships and strategic alliances, very quickly had me moving into the space of working with colleges, community colleges, nonprofits on software for adult literacy and numeracy. So now that I hear you talk about it, I can imagine this is not the typical business that somebody would start in Nova oh, Scotia. Yeah, no. <laughs> so how did you come up with that idea? Well, I mean, the sales job I'd had was in, in Toronto was in the educational technology space. And so I knew a lot about selling in that market. I didn't, I didn't know how to code software. I knew nothing about making products, but I figured I could find people that could do that or partner with them, and I ended up partnering. Um, But, you know, I'm honestly, I hung out my shingle and, and said, I've started this business. And I and I just looked around to try and see what I could, you know, how I could make some money, <laughs> where there'd be a problem that I could solve. And um, it, it it's funny because a lot of people, may, you know, when they hear my mm -hmm. story and they say, I wish I could be more like you, Tim, you must have had it all figured out. And truth of the matter is, Roxana, yeah. I didn't have anything figured out. I just I just and really it took me three months to. Honestly, when I got back to Nova Scotia, I had been so stressed out in the job that for at least three months, I really didn't do anything. And that didn't help because we had enough money to live on for about six months. And I spent the first three months of it just vegging and walking around in the forest.
Yeah, sometimes this happens to us, right? I mean, we get this paralysis by analysis because we get all of these ideas. What was it in your case? Yeah, I mean, I think I knew that I was mm. going to try and, you know, put together a suite of educational technology products and use the skills that I had, had developed. But what those those products would be and who I would be selling mm. to, I didn't, you know, I didn't honestly have a clue. And, you know, the other thing, you know, and I didn't see it at the time. I It's very clear mm -hmm. to me now, but I was actually grieving the loss of my job because, uh, you know, I, I I had tricked myself into thinking that I'd sacrificed any hopes of a, you know, a good, exciting, high-paying career like the one I'd had. Um, in, in, and I traded that away in order to be a, a present father, to be a good, you know, good husband and to live in this little community. And so it really held me back for two or three years because I, you know, I wasn't expecting to do much more than mm -hmm. I used to say. My goal is to make enough money to put uh, a roof over our head and food on the table. And not surprisingly, that's exactly how much money I made. Um, <laughs> and it was only when I realized that, you know, that I was being a bit of a dumbass, um, you know, that I was, you know, I was able to, and I broke out of that mindset that things really, you know, took off. Right. So did you, because you said it very beautifully, uh, grieving the loss of, of your job. And I think yeah. this is something that sometimes, I don't know, sometimes we don't realize that this is what, what's going on with us. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. and we don't give ourselves the time to do that. So it was probably, it was a well-spent three months for you because then you could think about all of the, all of the ideas for your, for your business. And by the way, what happened to your business? Was it successful? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that, it, it took me, it took me a little while, but you know, the, the software company, um, I eventually, you know, scaled to the point where we hit about 10 million in, in sales over those years across Canada. Um, right. It took us a while to find our niche. Once we settled into a good partnership to work with, work in the space of literacy and numeracy for adults. Um, yeah, it really, it really grew. We moved out of the house. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I bought a, an old, old home actually that was in terrible disrepair and tore it down and, and built an office building, you know, for, to, for our office and, and uh, for our business, I should say, and had a, oh, a half dozen employees. I mean, we had a very wonderful 18 year run um, that afforded me a well above average income, you know, for this community, that's for sure. It was on par with what I'd been making, you know, in, in you know, in mm -hmm. Toronto. And, uh, but only this time, as I, you know, as I, I like to tell people, my best was always good enough. The boss never got too upset as long as I was doing my yeah. best, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like there was a, a mindset change or shift right there. Cause you said initially you wanted to, earn as much as you needed just to put a roof on yeah. over your head and foot on the table. And now it was a totally different goal, I imagine, right? Well, sure. Because I mean, what happened is it, it's, again, it's another story, but I mean, you get that with me, but, uh, but um, I met, he, he's now gone, but a man that became one of my mentors, you know, in business and in life for, for the better part of 25 years, I met a guy named Roy Zabrick and I was down in the States at, a, at an education conference and Roy, it was, it was a, a big white haired, you know, roly poly, uh, Boston born, uh, Polish uh, descendant, um, just kind of a crazy guy. You had to picture him, but um, I can't really describe him. But, you know, I was sitting there and uh, after a session and Roy was having a, a martini and I was having a, a beer, I think. And 
And he said, I don't get you, Allison. And I barely met this guy. And I said, what the hell do you mean you don't get me? He says, look, you told me about all the success you had when you were in Toronto, when you worked for, you know, in the corporation, for, you know, for your, in your corporate job. And I said, yeah. And now you're telling me that you're living out in this little fishing village. And because of where you're at, you know, you're happy with, you know, j- just getting enough money to, you know, to get by, largely because you don't think it's possible to do anything more. Right. And, and I said, well, you know, Roy, you don't know where I live type of thing. And this is going to date me because back in those days, Roxana, we had to use to, uh, if we wanted to pay a credit card bill, we actually had to mail it a check in the mail to pay yeah, it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Roy said to me, he said, Tim, he says, you know, when I pay my American Express bill, do you know where I mail a check? And I said, well, no, I don't have a clue. And he says, well, neither do I, but it's in some place in North Dakota or something like that. <laughs> he says, do you think I care where it's going? He said, well, you know, and, and I realized it was all in my head. You know, that, that, you know, I was, I was, you know, was, it was my self-limiting beliefs, Roxana, that were, you know, keeping me trapped in a situation where, um, you know, it was mostly paycheck to paycheck, you know, to be yeah. honest, except I was always responsible for earning the next paycheck. It was not going to be there if, if I didn't. And once I, I flipped that switch and, and, and I give Roy a lot of credit for just, you know, becoming a, a, a big, important person in my life. And, and, uh, you know, things just really started to, you know, to, you know, to take off and, and I've, I've known ever since, and that's really the theme behind my Screw the Naysayers podcast. Right. Um, you know, look, our mindset is our biggest mm-hmm. enemy. I mean, it's, we're, we're capable of so much more. Um, and, but we get caught in survival mode. We get caught in thinking that, well, I can't afford to do this because I got to pay the rent and I can't afford to do this because I got to put food on the table and I can't, you know, I'll do this later when I have more time or, um, you know, or I can't do it right now, you know, because my health isn't right. I mean, there's, there's all of these, that's survival mode. Anytime you start thinking about things like that, because for the most part, those are imaginary excuses. Like, you know, it's, it's what we're really saying is that we, we haven't, we don't yet believe that we can, you know, achieve the things we really want in life. Our fear of failing for every one of us is inherently always greater than our ability to believe we can get what we want. And the only way we break past that 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 barrier is when we find something that we want bad enough um, to overcome that fear. And mm-hmm. um, that's how I found the courage to start the business because I just wanted to be here in this community with my kids. But once I realized that, you know, that it was my own limiting beliefs that was, you know, standing between me and, and much greater business success. And I just started asking, you know, I started uh, asking for more business and started Mm -hmm. pursuing different partnerships and putting myself out there. And, and um, it works. It really is, is, is in many ways, it really is as simple as that, but the, the, the dilemma or the challenge that we still have today is that so few people actually believe it. Yeah, because it, it's hard because it's, um, it's as if we're, I mean, we're taught that since we're yep. kids, right? It's like you, you fail, you yep. get a bad grade, so you don't want to fail because you're going get, to get a bad grade. So it's going to be the same in our adult life, right? We're going to fear failing because something bad is going to happen to us as punishment. So, yeah, this is how we're taught to you think. See, and, and there's two things I would say to that, and they both come from, you know, from discussions that I've had on, on my podcast many times. But, you know, I, I the first thing I would say is that there's a, a much greater risk of, you know, when we don't do something, like if we if we settle in and we don't, and we don't risk failure, or if we're always fearing failure, then we're only going to pursue things that, you know, we believe uh, come with no risk. 
And it, when you do that, you're going to live, uh, people that do that are going to live a very, um, uh, I, I don't, I want to find the right word. I don't want to insult people, but um, it's not going to be, a, a, put it this way, a life of significance. And you're certainly not going to um, affect mm-hmm. much change. It's Evan Carmichael, uh, who's an, a fellow Canadian. He lives in Toronto, um, like you, Roxanne. And he was on my show the other day, mm-hmm. and we were talking about this. And Evan said something that really, really resonated with me. Because um, I asked him about that. I said, why is it that, you know, uh, you know that, that so many people just won't allow themselves to believe that they can actually, you know, achieve what they want? And, you know, and he sort of reversed the question. But he said, the problem is this. We're living in a, a results-based society. Like we view everything we do in terms of gains and losses. And but you know, and what Evan said is that as a result of that, we we place our self-worth on the results. So if we work really hard at moving something forward that's really important to us in our life, like a you know, a, a, a new business, scaling your podcast, whatever it is that, that somebody wants to be doing, and we don't get the results immediately. We start to view the money that we've invested as lost, and and our self worth, um, you know, you know, takes a hit, and we get scared. Evan says that you know that the key, you know, to 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 overcoming all this is really quite simple: to base our self worth on the quality of the effort that we're putting in, and not the results. And if we do that, and we trust the quality of our effort over time, the results always follow. And I've learned that over. You know, all these years of being on my own, I have always been paid um, and ultimately well paid when I've put in hard, well-intentioned effort. Um, but I can honestly say that a lot of times the when I got paid and when I put in the work, they don't always line up. That's just the reality, you know. But time and money that, you know, we think, oh, we've screwed up, we've lost, you know, and even if an idea fails... You know, to say that that it's a complete failure that you've lost, you've learned probably so much through the process exactly. that it later on exactly. is going to help us. You know, it's 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 you know, but it is. You make a such a great point from our childhood. It's 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 we've been taught to believe that failure is bad, um, that risk taking yeah. is bad, and we've got this inner voice in our head that every time we start thinking about doing something that seems a little bit risky, starts making lists of of reasons in our head of why it's a bad idea. Exactly. And it's also because we need so much external validation, right? We need others to to tell us, oh, wow, you're amazing. You're wonderful, excellent, absolutely brilliant. And we don't allow ourselves to go and validate ourselves internally. It's like, as you said, okay, let's just do a good job. Let's put a lot of quality into this and it will somehow align and pay off not now, maybe later, because it needs to grow. I can't expect a seed to yeah. grow instantly into a flower or a tree, right? Uh, absolutely. Like deferred gratification is a common trait that I see in bo- almost every truly successful person that I've met. They're not really concerned mm-hmm. about today or tomorrow or even next week or next month. Um, and, and you know, they're trusting in the process. I, I like the point you made about external validation because – um, I've, that's a, that's a subject that I've studied a lot, Roxana. And in a, first of all, I've studied it from the perspective of what employers do. And and coming from the sales yeah. world, they are masters at at creating an environment where you know your feelings of success are tied to 
okay, did you meet your quota? Great. If you met your quota, you feel like you're successful. If you made the President's Club and won a free trip for you and your wife, you consider yourself to be successful. I mean, but you know, those, those are definitions of career success, but they're not definitions of what success feels like, you know, in, you know, in, in our life. And, and yeah. there's real danger in that. And there's a lady by the name of Jennifer Aker. She's from a, a, a psychologist at, at Stanford University. And she did a, a massive study, he, she, her and her team, and, a number of years ago. And they identified five key stages that we all go through in terms of happiness. Um, and what they did is they analyzed, I don't know, analyzed something like 10 million blog or public domain posts. And they looked for evidence of words associated with happiness and and age and stuff like that. And so the ex external validation, that's the stage we, we enter into in our teens. Um, we've been trained for it earlier on as, as, a, as younger children. But in our teens and, and well into our 20s, everybody has pretty much been trained to validate their success based on what other people are saying. So you get a job and you don't really like the job. Um, it's not what you expected it to be. But when you come home and tell somebody that, you know, your friends or your parents or perhaps even your spouse, because we're all trained to think the same way, say, well, no, look, you're doing great. I mean, you know, you've already got this job and it'll get better. You just have to stick with it. Well, sometimes that's the case. But a lot of times it really means that it's just not a good a good fit for you. Now, the challenge is that the, the next stage, the next two stages, you know, that we need the people hopefully will evolve through are the combination of, of uh, balance. Balance comes into our life when, like you and I, we, you know, we get partners and spouses and we have children and, and, you know, now we have to integrate other people's interests into what are the things that we're, you know, trying to achieve in life. Yeah. And meaning is, is when we reach the point that, that, um, if our work isn't purposeful, if it's not, you know, if our heart is not engaged, we're not going to be happy. The challenge is, is that I know people who have been stuck in that external validation stage mm -hmm. that are at my age. Like they yeah. never get out of it, um, and you could—you've met them too. They're the ones that all you have to do is flatter them with a few words, and all of a sudden they'll forget whatever you were talking about, and they're happy. Yeah. Um, except that you know they have lived most of their life in tremendous misery. They just never tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what I wanted to say. They're, they might seem happy for those, I don't know, a few seconds when they yep. hear the, the compliment, but then they go back to feeling that you know you feel empty. Right. When you don't see the, the purpose, the, when you feel like you don't have a, a meaning and or you don't have a meaningful, a, a meaningful input, a meaningful contribution, then what's what what is the point? You feel that something's missing. Maybe you can't say what is missing there, but you feel that something's missing. That's why I say it's all personal. Nothing is just business. Because nothing yes. is just business. We take we take our whole personal self everywhere we yeah. go. It follows us everywhere. It follows yeah, us at work, right? <laughs> you don't leave your what? personal self at home and just take your work self at work and then the other way around. Yeah, no, exactly, Roxana. Perfectly said. Because our workspace and the, the time, the, whatever we do in our career and, and and work, that's just another part of our our life where we get a chance to apply our you know our skills and the things that we care about. But there's been, there was a study done you know over about thirty years, and essentially it said that there are three um, specific things that are required for people to have a a feeling a, a, a true feeling of 
of success over time. The first is that, you know, your heart has to be engaged. You have to have yeah. some purpose to it, you know. So if you're working in a job where your heart's not engaged in what you're doing, you don't see the purpose, you don't, you know, um, uh, you know, it doesn't align with, mm-hmm. you know, who you are. It doesn't matter how much money or how many titles or anything else. You're net, you know, there's going to be a point where you're no longer happy. The second thing is most of us, and I believe all of us, need to feel that we're working to, you know, striving to work to our potential. I was talking to a guy today. I mean, and he's a brilliant, brilliant man. I could tell just from the conversation. Um, you know, he's got a team of, I don't know, 10 or 20 mm-hmm. people working for him in a big company, doing all sorts of data analytics and, you know, and the likes. Um, but he said, it's easy. Like, you know, this is too easy. I, this is not what I want to be doing. I, you know, I got all these other things I want to be doing. But I can't get, you know, people engaged around here to understand how much more we could be doing. And so if we don't have, if we don't feel like we're working to our potential, we're going to be, you know, unhappy. And the third thing, and it's the one that is, is I think the least understood by people, it's, it's being discussed way more today than it ever was. But we, we need to, as human beings to feel like we're working in service to others. There's, there's something when you get to the point where you're, where you're working at something you care about, you know, that is heart-centered, where you're working close to, you know, you're striving to be your best, and where you know the, you know, the, the, the work that you're doing is actually helping other people, positively impacting other yeah. people, making some sort of a, you know, a, a difference. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's this in, in, intrinsic sense of fulfillment that happens when you get all through three of those yeah, things exactly. that really can't be found mm-hmm. anywhere else. And that's all personal stuff. It's just, you know, there's a, there, there's really so many different types of, of careers yeah. and works that would allow you, to, most anybody, mm-hmm. to do that. It's that uh, people go out and ask back, they, they approach the, the, the problem ask backwards. They're, you know, they're worried about, you know, trying to figure out how, you know, what career they would be, you know, the, they would be good at and where they could make the most money and all of these kind of things. And they should be thinking about uh, what are my options in terms of, of career that would allow me you know, to be the most successful human being that I, you know, that, that, that I can. Exactly. Especially that there are roles born as we speak, right? So there, there are careers that didn't exist, I don't know, three, five, ten years ago, right? Three weeks so ago. you can, exactly. So you can very easily think about something that you can do and want to do and would be fulfilling for you. And just just start, but start doing it. Start taking some action towards it rather than finding those excuses that you were mentioning before. Absolutely. Okay, so um, let's go back to you and your and your journey so far. So we are at this point. You have your your successful business. And what happened next? Yeah, well, around, um, I guess it was probably around 2006, somewhere around there, our... Um, you know, both of our kids had, had had gone off to university. One had already graduated. The other was was gone and said she was never coming back to this community. She's now here running a business. But um, another story. But you know, interesting. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. But you know, the the thing about the educational technology space, Roxana, is that it, it evolved so quickly. And it and it, by the time the, the you know this millennium rolled around, it was so dominated by the you know, by huge multinational companies. They were literally buying small companies just to close them, to get them out of the way type of thing. Um, and the other problem was the technology was changing so fast that for a small company like mine, as soon as I had something new developed, it was almost obsolete. So I just looked at the market. I saw an opportunity to, to sell off our 
our, um, you know, the, the intellectual property that we have. So I took that and, um, sold the, you know, sold IP off. The plan was to, you know, walk on the beach for a year or two and, and, uh, um, sort of contemplate what I was going to do. Um, they had a, a little, uh, well, not a little, it was a, a major life event happened. Uh, my wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that now she's fine. Now, you know, it's uh, been way over 10 years now. Yeah. Um, uh, to Good. the point where I don't remember how many years it's been. Um, <laughs> That's but, great. You know, it, it, it was a, it was a ride. I'm sure she yeah. does, but I'm, I'm just not like that. Yeah, but you know, it, it, there was this phase where all you do is, you know, whatever people tell you to do, mm-hmm. you're getting in the car. Cause we had to drive three hours each time we went she had a treatment. We had to drive for over three hours, stay in a hotel room overnight to make sure that there wasn't any bad reaction mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Drive back winter roads and everything. It was, yeah. it, it was, um, so that took a couple years out. Um, a good friend of mine then, um, he was at the time he was working as an executive director at a, a university business development center out here in Nova Scotia. And he was looking for somebody to work with local entrepreneurs to provide some mentoring and some, some, you know, some advice on mm-hmm. growing their business or sometimes on business turnarounds. So I, I did, you know, it started me into, I'd say the business coaching side of things, which I ended up doing for the better part of 10 years, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, and it had quite, at one stage, my business was again, quite successful. I had a partner, but you know, we hit, I don't know, a quarter million or something like that. And, you know, in revenues, but mm-hmm. it, it got to the point where well, we couldn't scale it any further as a consulting business because we were just selling our time. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, to be honest, I just, as I, when I turned 60, I said, it's, I think it's time to find something that doesn't have me driving all over the place, you know, going into small businesses everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that's, that's when just another one of, you know, life's things just, you know, you know, intervened because honestly, I was think I was seriously thinking about just retiring. My wife's now retired and we bought a, a trailer to go camping and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, um, but I, I'd been writing a book for a while and I got the urge to finish that off. And then I, I called it screw the naysayers and I took the book to a, believe it or not, I'd never been to a poetry reading in my entire life because my book is actually quite poetic. It's got very short chapters. They almost do sound like little poems. And I went to this and I go into this room with all these, you know, young kids and flower child children and people with guitars mm-hmm. and long hair. And, and here's this guy, you know, 60 white hairs and all this, but you know what? And you don't clap at these things. I didn't I had to read the, the, the rules. You have to snap your fingers if you like something, uh-huh. you know? And okay. So, but I read a few chapters from the book and I could just see this transformational reaction in some of the faces. They were just really relating because I'd gone back and in a very honest, self-deprecating way, talked about this, you know, the struggles I had, um, how I got trapped into a job where I wasn't happy and how I really struggled to, you know, find the courage to make a decision that was, should have been so obvious to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, it uh, so Somewhere in that process, somebody said to me, maybe I should start a podcast. <laughs> and um, and that, you know, that has just worked out in a way that I could never, ever have imagined. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, it's changed my life. It's clearly been the best professional development experience of my entire life. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, so... So it's interesting, yeah, because I I didn't know that the uh, the 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 book was called the same as the podcast. Yeah, it started as a book. <laughs> Screw the naysayers. Oh wow! The subtitle is "They Suck Anyways." <laughs> so how did you come up with that title? Come on, that has to be a an interesting story you behind know, that. Um, that was me, you know, trying to define what my book was all about. 
Um, and the book is not a hero's journey. I don't talk about, you know, all my success and all that kind of stuff. I talk about the moments, the transformational moments, the things that I struggled with, the, you know, the lessons I learned. And, and I realized as I was going through it, that, that, that my entire life, you know, really has been about defying con conventional wisdom. When people tell me that, you know, the herd is going to the right, I'm the guy that's going left. And, um, and I don't do it, you know, for ego purposes. I've never sought, you know, you know, publicity or, or any of those kind of things. It's just kind of who I am. But I do realize that had I listened to all the people who told me that I was crazy, um, you know, when I quit that job, there were people telling me that not only was I crazy, but that I was an irresponsible parent. That yeah. here I was quitting my job, Roxana, because I was never seeing my kids, and I figured I was going to be dead if I didn't. Uh, I was quitting my job to put my family first, and everybody was telling me that I, I was jeopardizing my family's financial future by being so selfish. Well, I can't. I just suck it up and you know do a better job and you know and 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 stop being a baby type of thing. And and you know and they all almost to a person said you're going to be crawling back to Toronto with your tail between your legs, and the job's not going to be there. You know, yeah. and you, you know, you're going to be, you know, so it's just, I don't know. It's, I looked for words. I was trying to find a phrase that I just didn't see in, you know, in, in a lot of use. And believe it or not, I, you know, there was a song that someone wrote by or some group wrote by that name. Um, people throw it out here and there, but there's never been a book or podcast mm -hmm. or anything by that name. So I said, what the hell? I mean, we'll call it. And, you know, then, then I got, I hired for the book cover. I hired a, a designer out of Montreal, David Morato. He's mm -hmm. a, just a fun guy. Um, but he came up with this image. So the, the book cover actually is, uh, it's a drawing, but illustration, but it's two sheep skydiving, um, where, where one sheep is saying to the other, you know, screw the naysayers. They suck anyways. And, you know, it just, it, it epitomizes what I believe. Like if people tell me I can't do something, like I'm not stupid. If they say you can't jump off that bridge without hurting yourself or killing yourself, I get it. If there's a risk of physical pain, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to give it some serious thought. But yeah. if you're telling me I should be worried about losing money, and this was long before I'd made any money, Roxana. Mm -hmm. Like, I've just, I've always valued my time way more than my, my money. Like, time I can never get back. Yeah. But money is a, is a replenishable, replenishable resource. Mm -hmm. No matter how bad things might get, there's always an opportunity to, to make more. But we can't get, you know, time back. And so um, I also did have some, you know, really no need to, to get into a lot of the details. But I, I was born born with some, some health uh, challenges. I have a, um, a genetic bone deficiency, calcium deficiency in my bones, mm -hmm. which means that, you know, I've had a, a tremendous number of broken bones. And as I age, my mobility is being significantly impacted so yeah. like for for instance right now any kind of travel has gotten quite difficult for me but for the in the last fifth you know 12 14 years my wife and i have been i don't know we've been to europe at least 15 mm -hmm. times in that period and probably done 20 or 25 trips i didn't want and and a lot of that time well whether money or not we were going because you know i knew in 20 years or whatever i wasn't going to be able to right. go yeah and yet everybody just seems to obsess over you know, uh, protecting their money and is quite willing to give up their time. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll take another year or two to try and figure, figure this thing out, uh, which ends up costing them way more money than if they were to, you know, to have a look at finding somebody that can help them shallow the learning curve. And I just talk about that example because that's the world I'm in, you know, of, of exactly. mentoring people. And it's, it's, I don't, I, I respect everybody. Like we, we, everybody has to decide um, what their so-called level of risk tolerance is, you know, is about, but, uh, you know, I just, my advice with the gray hair to the younger generation when I'm 
hanging around at social events with young people, they tend, for whatever reason, they tend to gravitate around for chats. Mm -hmm. And I just say, you know, whatever you're doing, if you want to do something, do it now. Like, do not put off, um, you know, things that are that are important yeah. to you. Use your time. And, you know, if, if, if and so, you know, so you could take a job that pays more, but you know, this job on the, the another one that's been offered to you is something that you think you'd mm -hmm. really enjoy. Yeah. Take that one. Take that one and, and then figure out from what you're learning there how you can make more money yeah. from it. Because as you said, there are so many ways, you know, in 2019, 2020 coming up. I mean, there are so oh, many wow. ways to commercialize exactly. an idea. And so many people have three or four different yeah. businesses. It's not unusual. You can have a job and still have three businesses. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it, they don't exclude each other anymore, no. right? I mean, what a perfect time to, to live in and be able to, to do so many things because they're so at hand. Yeah, it's unprecedented. It absolutely is. And, it and, is. and I don't know, like I, I look at it and I'm, I've had many futurists on my show. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm very good at it, but I feel like we're in the glory days of a bunch of stuff. I, I feel like we're in yeah. the glory days of podcasting, for example, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, every day there's tens of thousands of more people starting up podcasts. Um, there's, it's not too late, but it's getting harder and harder for new, new entrants to, to attract attention. Um, yeah. but I feel like, you know, um, in terms of, of being able to utilize the technology that's out there, um, to find an idea, like there's millions of problems in this world that, that, that have not been solved. That's one of the real frustrations mm -hmm. that when I look around, I can see all the evidence of how technology has, has advanced. Um, we see that everywhere, right? But I, 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 I think we can make an argument that, or we could at least ask a question, pose the question, has humanity really, you know, advanced? Because we still have, you know, we <laughs> yeah. still can't manage our health and we still can't, you know, uh, we still are, 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 held back by, you know, self-limiting beliefs that cause, I don't want to put a percentage on it. A huge percentage of people in this world are just skating through life, assuming that they, if they've got all they can get. And, yeah. or, and this is just what life is all about. And, yeah. um, and so we have such untapped human potential and we've got, yeah. we've got people that don't have food and we've got environmental issues and, but there's millions of problems. So find a problem that you care about and come up with a unique idea to solve it. And all you don't have exactly. to just the idea, find the idea to solve a problem, and you can commercialize that. We have never lived in a time like that, never. Exactly, never. It's exactly as you said. It's unprecedented, and it's it's the chance to you know, as you said, to defy conventional wisdom, right? Exactly. So take it, do something else about it. Come up with a solution that nobody nobody thought of, or maybe they did. They just didn't express it because they were fearing the failure. Well, I, I think there are no, there's no such thing as an original new idea anymore. I mean, there's 7 billion people. Yeah, on this planet. it's hard. So I, I'm not saying there <laughs> yeah. isn't the odd one, but you know, the ones that are, that are so out there, um, I think that's one of the big barriers uh, to, to success for a lot of people is they think if you want to start your own business, you got to come up with something crazy, you know, that nobody else has ever dreamed up. You don't. The origin of any small business is the entrepreneur's belief that they can solve a problem, you know, better than, um, um, you know, the solution that's currently being provided. And it might simply be the solution that's being provided right in your neighborhood. But, you know, maybe your advantage is that you can do it here, you know, as opposed to or that you can put human touch to it. I mean, there's a million different ways to, you know, to mm -hmm. to solve problems. And, and uh, 
So, and when you look, look, the problem is people get caught up in the the stories about, you know, Facebook or, you know, I'm going to be the next TikTok or, you know, or, you know, or whatever. But, you know, and of course that's a large, that's Chinese government owned, but, you know, the the Facebook stories, um, you know, the Apple, the Bill Gates stories, there's, or software, Microsoft, I should say, Bill Gates, I mean, Steve Jobs, I mean, they're, they're such rare human beings. That 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 isn't going to be the reality for virtually anybody. Certainly, likely anybody listening to this show. I'm not saying and, they won't, yeah. but don't obsess over it because you can, exactly. you can create a great business with a simple idea, and you know, yeah. and, and and creating a unique perspective. Just change the way people are thinking about a problem. To add to what you said, I think yeah, okay, they are rare human beings. And still, they are human beings. I mean, you know, <laughs> they started from with an idea, with a solution that oh, they were garage. thinking about, and it, you know, and it wasn't overnight success. They oh, no. worked hard yeah. to to make that idea happen, right? Well, look for sure, Roxanne. I mean, that's a, been a sore point for me. There's so much crap out there from, you know, people giving advice on how you can, you know, hack mm-hmm. the system and you can. You can get instant success. And, you know, Evan Carmichael, when I was on my show, he just said, look, he said, you know, you're not good at anything when you first started it. The first thing, remember the first time we got behind a car, got behind the wheel of a car, you know, we didn't instantly get out and, yeah. and drive on the speedway, you know, you know, zigzagging out of traffic. I mean, we're not good at anything the first time we try it. The problem is, and especially I see this in, you know, in folks closer to my generation when it comes to technology, is that as we start to get older, we start to forget that and we start to expect this, this, that we can be good at things fast. We're good at other stuff. So why can't I do this? Well, you're good at the at driving a car because you've been, Tim's been doing it for 50, 46 yes. years. Yes. You know, I mean, it's, the practice. And it's exactly. And yet we have this expectation that, you know, well, I, geez, I can't figure out, you know, uh, you know, TikTok. I can't figure out Instagram. I, you know, it, anybody, this stuff is not brain surgery. Like, you know, if these little eight-year-old children can, can have two, two phones in their hands and be doing six of them at the same time, surely to heavens we can figure out at 62 or 52 or 42 or 82 how to do one of them on a computer. You know, yeah. it's, we just, we don't allow ourselves and, and we create this false, um, you know, narrative in our head that, you know, we're too dumb. And it's, it's, it's such a shame. Because, you know, we're all going to live so much longer. Like the, you know, the population yeah. is, you know, our average length of age. And now with the changes of technology, back in the day, a person with my health would have been retired a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I'm working hard and having a great time and, you know, and talking to people all around the world. Because with technology, you know, God, you need internet, uh, you know, a, a laptop, a comfortable chair, you know, and your mind. And that's exactly. and, and to take a picture and some video. Yeah, as you said before, we've met, and actually, yeah, we met virtually, which means we met. Well, and I, I meant it. It's crazy, but I mean, that's yeah, the, exactly. See, that's the way I meet just about everybody. I talk to you know five, six mm-hmm. people a day uh, around the world, usually you know, uh, you know, in, in a video video call. Um, I talk to two people a week minimum, you know, in depth for you know interviews like this. I mean. You know what it's like when you have a long conversation with somebody, even if you've never met them before, by the time you finish, you feel like you've known them a long time. And you could pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, Roxanne, it's Tim. And you're just going to know, you know, not even going to be surprised. You know, I mean, and so that's the world we're living in. We didn't 
we weren't able to gather our communities, Roxana, but we can gather our communities together now with, without concern for geography. And that's the other thing sure. in terms of business. I mean, Seth Golden said, you know, everybody's thinking of the internet as like these 4 billion people or whatever the hell the number is that's on it. You know, he, he says it's ridiculous. He said, all the internet is, is millions and millions and millions of small communities, like, you know, mm-hmm. micro communities. And most, most people that I know that are in business, especially the ones that are, you know, providing some sort of a service or whatever, if they found the 100 people in the world that they were really meant to be working with, they would be busy for the next several years. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that when you started your your sales job, it was this love-hate relationship with, with sales and that you hated sales. Yeah. <laughs> you hated selling as, as it was. Um, and then you started to build your, your business, which also means sales. Of course, right? yeah. So... Um, I don't know, do you, were, were you, do you think you were, you were always this kind of person who felt at ease talking to people and letting them know what's going on and what you can do for them? Or and was it a combination of your experience as a sales yeah, guy? That's a great question, you know, and it's a, it's a little hard to answer. I mean, I, I'm basically an introvert, and people don't really believe this, but if you were to, you know, run into me at a, a social gathering where people didn't know me and I didn't know other people, I would be the guy standing in the corridor waiting for somebody to come over mm-hmm. to talk to me. And even if that person started talking to me, they better know how to get the conversation going because I don't. I mean, um, but <laughs> yeah, it's typical true. introvert. <laughs> um, yeah. But here's the thing um, what I learned. In school, the one class that I, in high school, the one class that I really enjoyed was history. And I had no trouble getting up in history and debating and taking sides because I would have done my research and I would have studied. And I think what I've learned, and it's the same thing in sales, like what I learned in, when I started selling business to business, um, um, as opposed to like life insurance, is, is that if you're confident in what you're doing and you, you're knowledgeable about the topic you're speaking about and you believe in it, um, that it gets, it's pretty easy to, to talk. So, I mean, yeah. I, I loved I, that job in corporate sales. The things I loved about it was that it really did, um, you know, um, you know, teach me a skill set that's been the foundation of all my entrepreneurial success, you know, for the last 30 plus years. I'm, yeah. I'm making no bones about it. The two things I didn't like about it, Roxana, was that, um, you know, what we talked about a bit earlier that, you know, that my best was at times not good enough. And you get to a point where you just say, well, there's nothing else. I can't think of anything else I could have done. Mm -hmm. And you're still crapping on me, you know, and that was hard. And then the other thing is I left on my own terms, but I, I saw it coming, uh, you know, at the the company I was working for. And, you know, now I've met obviously so many people since, I mean, people that work in that in corporate sales, your job is never safe. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, you know, a new boss comes in, doesn't like you, you're out the door. The company goes into a downturn, they downsize, you're out the door. Um, You know, you, 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 um, uh, the company closes, the company gets bought by somebody. Like there's so many, they close an apartment and you just, you know, you're a casualty type of thing. So, I mean, there's the uncertainty of that, but as an entrepreneur, I love selling you know um Mm -hmm. you know in the sense that well because selling for me is it's changed a lot but it's not like i don't sell anything you Mm -hmm. know in in this day and age i mean what you the best way for an entrepreneur to 
you know, to succeed is to just make sure they're, they're communicating as clearly as they possibly can who they want to help, how they can help them, yeah. why it's, you know, why they should work with you or me mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and to demonstrate, you know, the, the, and provide social evidence that we know what the heck we're doing. Yeah. And that, that is, um, you know, it's about relationships and, um, you know, I mean, you know, I've had instances recently where, where literally, you know, I'm saying to people, well, I'm not sure you're ready. So, you know, I want you to go away and think about it and then come back to me and talk to me if, you know, if you're ready. And they, they actually become somewhat agitated yeah. when I don't actually come out and say, I would like you to, you know, to, to become a client. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is, you know, this is the nature, you know, of, of, you know, of the world we're living in today because people are way more educated. Yeah. You can get on the internet, you can read about anybody. Um, you know, that's why social media is important in terms of what you're and things like your podcast. When you invest in providing value to others with no expectation of anything in return, mm-hmm. that's demonstration of a good heart. Yeah. That's a demonstration of somebody that's that's putting good out into the universe. And, you know, and, and those are the kind of people that folks, you know, will will gravitate to. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, and I like it because it, it goes back to service, right? So it's it's all about the service that you're you're offering, that you're providing. It's not selling for the the sake of selling or, or you know closing a sale. It's not about that anymore. It's it's more than that, and especially as an entrepreneur, right? Exactly. I feel that we could we could talk about <laughs> about this yeah. like <laughs> for days, um, and we're almost out of time. But I let you go before I ask you for a thought of wisdom, which can be anything. It can be um, anything that you want to share with with you, with our audience today to to inspire them. It can be a movie or a quote or a book. Um, Apart from your book, <laughs> Screw the Naysayers, which I'm going to put in the description of the podcast, that yeah. <laughs> uh, anything that you would like to, to share? Well, I mean, uh, something I wrote, you know, years and years and years ago, and a quote that I, I, I wish everyone and everybody that's listening um, to, to have the opportunity to, to do this. And, and so the quote is this, know the life you want and have the courage to live it. Thanks for sharing that. I think, and it goes very well with everything that we talked about today, right? Have your have your focus, have your mindset on find what you want to do and do it. Exactly. Thank you so much, Tim, for for your time, for sharing your your thoughts and experience with with us today. It was a pleasure having you as a guest on the podcast. Uh, I had a blast. Thanks, Roxana. <laughs> Thank you. Well, wasn't this plenty of food for thought? I'm taking so much of this conversation and most of all, the three elements that our intrinsic sense of fulfillment is based on. Number one, if our heart is not engaged, we're not going to be happy. Two, we need to feel we're working towards our potential and three we need to feel we work in service to others and that's 
how else but all personal. Until next time.